Welcome, it's Jeremy Allen Gould. I'm coming to you today to confirm between God and of man that in fact, the rumors that you have all heard are true. I started this podcast because I freaking love music. I was privileged enough to book amazing artists and bands in the past, and I was lucky enough to stay in touch with many of them to this day. This is a place to hear their stories. Thank you so much for riding along on this journey, and I hope you enjoy what you hear. With that said, the rumors are definitely true. Welcome to this latest episode of the Rumors Are True podcast. My name is Jeremy. Today I welcome Father Christopher Foley from the band Luxury. What an awesome conversation. Um, grew up loving this band, loving all their records, loving the rock and roll, the sass. I loved it all. Um, incredible band, incredible records. Um, very influential in my life and, and many of yours as well. Awesome conversation, got to talk about um, the records overall, as well as uh, the movie Parallel Love that came out. Uh, it is free on Tubi currently, just so you all know. Um, yeah, awesome conversation. Chris and I met a couple years ago, and it was just cool to reconnect. So I hope you enjoy this latest episode with Father Christopher Foley. Father Christopher Foley, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. Awesome, man. Awesome. What are you up to now? What What's going on in your life right now? <laughs> well, um, you know, as a full-time Orthodox priest, my life is very busy, and we are in the <laughs> middle of building building a church. So oh, wow. I'm wearing not only the cassock of a priest, but also the I have a hard helmet and uh, <laughs> that I wear on the job site every day. I feel like I'm a contractor as well. Wow. So that's pretty awesome right now. 
Where uh, where is it in North Carolina area? Yeah, in yeah, uh, Kernersville. It's it's between Winston. Oh. Okay, it's yeah, I just got dusty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, two, almost two in a row from that area. That's nuts. That's awesome. That's rad. Um, so, how's some family doing? How 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 are things going with that? Uh, things are good. You know, I've got four kids, and uh, you know, between twenty four down to Jeez. fourteen, all all boys. So, never a dull moment. I and, bet. Uh, yeah. Are, are they following in dad's footsteps at all? Uh, well, my 22-year-old graduated from a recording and engineering uh, local technical school. So he's been getting into, you know, recording engineering, music business, and that's he's a, played around in some bands. And, uh, yeah. That's cool. So, that's cool. Does he love luxury? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, wear, they wear our T-shirts around, so that's they're not cool. embarrassed. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's right. And uh, they got to see us play finally when we oh wow back. So that was cool. That's really cool. That's super cool. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, um, I was gonna go back to when you and I uh, originally met. We met, I think it was in Greensboro at a Me Without You, and I was with Sun Bears. And I remember seeing you guys walk in, and I, <laughs> I don't know if I ever told you this, but my friend Jared uh, Bowser, who's a drummer, he's like, I think that's Chris from Luxury, and I was like, Oh my god. Like I was freaking out inside, you know, the eight, 16, 17 year, 18 year old me was losing it. And of course, you know, when I came up to talk to you, you were so kind and awesome. And it was such a, a privilege to meet you. So I just never, I'll never forget that. Uh, it was an awesome yeah. show and awesome opportunity. It's rare to ever be kind of recognized. <laughs> you know? So it's just, uh, that was nice, but yeah, that was a cool show. Yeah, man. It was awesome. Very cool. Sweet. So, Chris, um, growing up for you, man, let's talk about um, – and I, I know you've kind of discussed this in the past somewhat, but I just want to know kind of how music kind of came into your life, uh, maybe some music artists, bands, records that kind of influenced uh, who you are today. Yeah, gosh. Well, you know, growing up as a child of the 80s, really, um, you know, I was always interested in music, you know, all the – pop and new wave stuff in the 80s and like i love that stuff i would record songs off the radio on a tape deck and make my own you know radio shows <laughs> out of these That's songs awesome. and and yes yeah, so i'd always love music but it wasn't really until i can remember very distinctly hearing the the first violent femmes album when i was like in eighth grade wow and i just was wow. so taken by it i'm like what is this this is so great you know and I'd sit down with it and learn all the all the words and everything and then uh i can remember that same year we were on a field trip where like we could drive to the event we were going to hear ronald reagan speak wow in downtown atlanta and so i was in a car with some friends and they put on the dead kennedy's Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables album. <laughs> and I, I just, I had never heard anything like it. And I wanted to hear more. Like that kind of music. Yeah. So immediate. So like I, so I got into like Black Flag and I kind of discovered this whole, you know, punk rock, hardcore underground scene. And in Atlanta, there was a pretty thriving scene. So really just dove in deep and got, and then discovered you know, bands like Seven Seconds, Minor Threat, you know, Rights of Spring, the whole DC scene. Yeah. And, you know, from coming from a Christian background, too, you know, it kind of felt dangerous. But then to discover that there was this scene that was, you know, kind of straight edge and really wanting to make a, 
positive difference, you know, yeah. even though they, if anything, were probably anti-Christian, but right. uh, oh, it kind of resonated with me. And then, you know, certainly I was always looking for, are there any Christian bands playing this kind of music? And at the time there really wasn't, I mean, there's altar boys undercover, you know, yeah. the Earth crucified, the warning, the lead, nobody special. So, you know, I was kind of interested in always really in, in the integration of those two scenes, but then gosh, getting into the DC kind of discord bands. I mean, those were like the bands that shaped me to want to start playing bass, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, right spring, I think it was his name, Mike Fellows, I think from Rights of Spring. I just loved his his bass playing, um, you know, Joe Lolly from Fugazi. But, you know, so I started bands, you know, in high school. Yeah. Um, we played our first show after, like, playing bass for, I don't know, a month. <laughs> That's so cool. That sounds about right, though. Yeah, but it was all just, it was a local scene, and we just put on our own shows. Um, so there was just a thriving kind of little underground scene in Atlanta in the late 80s. Um, yeah, so I was, you know, was kind of interested in playing and, you know, that type, those type of bands. Uh, when did you, um, when did you pick up a bass? What, what made you decide on the bass where you just, was that the one well, that you I, were most attracted I, to? Yeah, I mean, I think just listening to hardcore and a lot of the post-punk stuff coming out of, you know, England and all that, like, I just loved how bass heavy it was and yeah. how it just really so both the aggressiveness of like some of the hardcore bands but also bands you know kind of like the cure new order i mean there was just something about i don't know the bass that just really attracted me i, I was never really interested in being a front man or guitar just seemed way too complicated <laughs> yeah no it makes uh, a lot of sense <laughs> yeah so i mean i'm just one of those like rare bass players that just really wanted to learn the bass and just yeah stuck you know was there a was there a particular concert um, that you saw maybe at that time that we just kind of you know was you were like man I want to do that? Yeah, I, I would say kind of my first punk show, which was Seven Seconds and Verbal Assault. Wow, nineteen eighty six. It was on the Seven Seconds New Wind tour, so that was my first exposure to just something like that. Like, yeah. oh my god. Like, this is just so great. Everybody's here. Everybody's loving it and so into it. People are on the stage with the bands. And I mean, That's so it, cool. it was That's just, cool. yeah, it was just something like I had never been exposed to before. And it, th I think that was, you know, just a show that, I don't know, just got me interested in, like, I, I, I want to delve into the scene. I want to play in a band. And, yeah. you know, and the scene was so much about starting your own record labels and putting on your own shows and yeah uh, yeah so that i mean that was a pretty important show i think for me that's cool um i know you mentioned um you know undercover and altar boys did you get to see any of those bands at that time when they yeah. were out that way yeah anytime they, they would they come around i remember seeing the altar boys on the gut level music tour <laughs> nice <laughs> and uh you know, and it was cool. I mean, it was great, but it, it, I remember thinking, wow, this isn't quite the same as yeah. like, these oh, underground yeah. shows I'm going to. <laughs> um, and then the band I was in in high school, uh, we played with the lead. Oh, nice. Uh, and they came up. And so that was kind of like the first Christian band that was like, okay, yeah, these guys are, they're from the scene. Yeah. You know? <laughs> 
They're a little um, gnarly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, so that that was cool. Um, That's right. Them. Sweet, man. Well, um, obviously, so you're influenced by a lot of these bands, and then you meet the guys that would become Luxury in, 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 uh, in Tacoa. Um, yep. Let's talk about kind of a little bit how the that band kind of materialized, came together, and um, how you guys kind of got on the same page musically. I know I'm, pro- I'm sure it was not right away, but you know, let's talk about that for a little yeah. bit. Well, you know, we we met at a, a small Christian liberal arts Bible college, basically in Northeast Georgia, and you know, it's it was kind of like an extension of youth group culture. <laughs> yeah. So in a situation like that, I, at least for myself. You know, I was so desperate to find some like-minded people. Yeah. Um, so right away, I'm I'm scanning the cafeteria for for band shirts <laughs> or documents <laughs> or you know something to like. Okay, where's my tribe here? Yep. Yeah. Um, very quickly found the guys that eventually, you know, st- we started luxury and um, you know, still lifelong friends. But you know, I, I think when you're desperate to find like-minded people. You know, our our tastes weren't exactly the same. Sure, but they were just non-mainstream. <laughs> no, totally. Uh, yeah. So, you know, when we first started playing together, you know, we we were from such a different, I don't know, background musically, but somehow we we tried to make it work. <laughs> yeah, totally. We tried, you know, put the the DC punk thing in with the. <laughs> The, the Morrissey thing with the U2 thing with the Led Zeppelin thing with the, the jam, Absolutely. you know, like put that in a blender and, you know, well, it worked, man. It, it worked. It really did. Um, so how long did you start playing? Um, I guess uh, you started the band, obviously played some shows. I, I, I remember watching the film like you, you know, had a little DIY spot that you guys would play at and put shows on and stuff. Um, right. how long after you had formed the band did maybe tooth and nail start coming around? Um, you know, were you playing, obviously we're playing with other bands, um, that were touring at the time in that area. Yeah. Yeah. So we started playing regionally and there were some promoters in Atlanta that would bring some of these bands around. And then, yeah, we had a little venue up in Tacoma where we were booking bands and, um, you know, so we were called the shroud early on. Yeah. You know, for a few years, and then you know, quickly, I don't know, just kind of realized we wanted, to, you know, change the name. And you know, we played a, a few local festivals. There was a, a festival in Atlanta called Interseeds. Mm. Uh, that was kind of trying to do a, a cornerstone type thing in the Atlanta area. So we started getting to know some of the other bands. That's where we first met, like Morellas Forest, um, when they were unsigned. Uh, we we got to know the Prayer Chain guys pretty nice. well. We played them a number of times we booked them at our venue um and they just loved luxury so this was like i don't know 93 94 is when we kind of got to know them and they just got so they became like our our cheerleaders out in the west coast that's so cool so they'd be wearing our shirts at their shows and they started talking to brandon from tooth and nail that's when brandon was still down in southern california and uh so they really encouraged us to play cornerstone and we you know we weren't terribly interested you know in pursuing the the christian music scene you know per se 
But when Tooth and Nail came out, we're kind of like, well, they're doing this cool thing. You know, yeah. we like the Starfire album, that first MXPX album. I mean, it was like they they were focusing on the art and the music and, you know, maybe had a similar philosophy about faith and art and all of that. So, you know, Prayer Chain really encouraged us. You guys got to go to Cornerstone, try to get on the, you know, the impromptu stage and we'll try to get Brandon there. That's cool. Um so that's what we did. We we uh, we went up to Cornerstone, and like you see in the movie, I mean, we we didn't get selected for the impromptu stage till the very last day. Jeez Louise! Uh, but Brandon had come by our table a few times, like I'm going to come see you guys play. And, <laughs> uh, you know, the prayer chain guys keep talking you up, and so yeah, so we played. You know, on the last day on the Sunday of Cornerstone '94, I think it was. And uh, he offered us a, a deal on the spot. We sat down and talked about it and, you know, sent the contract at some point. And then by that winter, we were in Nashville recording. Unbelievable. Amazing. Thank you. With Chris Colbert and Steve Hindelong. That's nuts. Uh, you, know, which um, was, you know, people we, re- we respected. Yeah, we were, absolutely. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, that's cool. I was going to talk. Let's talk about amazing and thank you. Um fantastic record uh, i love uh Hindelong and colbert i love the work they did on it i know you know you guys talk about it in the film as well but it's like it's such a raw record and i love how it sounds how it looks it's just sassy but it's rock and roll and all that so let's talk about um that record and, and that time kind of how that process went for you and and uh, your thoughts on it maybe and, and kind of looking back how you feel about it yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're proud of that record. Like everybody says, you know, you have your, you know, career up until that point to write your first album, you know, so these songs like we really knew and we were really excited to, to, you know, record them. Steve Hindelong took a very active role in, you know, helping us, you know, think about the song. So like the first day was really kind of sitting there he wanted us to go through each song. He listened to him. He was making notes. He was like closing his eyes and like getting really into it. And then he would, you know, he would really get to know the songs and he would make suggestions on things like, oh, you know, maybe instead of playing that four times, why do you play that bridge three times and go back yeah. into that beginning part? And, you know, so really took an active, I guess, kind of, you know, producer role. And, you know, we had never. <laughs> kind of let our songs be crafted by anybody else before. And uh, so that yeah. was really helpful. I think it just got us thinking more about song structure and, um, and then to record with him, you know, this was our first time really being in a real studio. We had done some, you know, eight track, you know, onto cassette tape type recordings, but you know, this was a full two inch tape machine. And yeah, um, I, I think Lee, especially, I think that's where he really, I think developed as a as a vocalist and as a singer, and that's back when they would take like eight takes, wow, like actually cut and paste the best parts of each of those tracks. So Chris Colbert was down there with a little exacto knife and tape, putting it all together, and um, yeah. So it was a real learning experience, I think, for us. Yeah, uh, being in the studio, it was a lot of fun too. It was just. Yeah. Was the whole record written before you went in? I know you said you had worked on it, you know, up to that point. Where did you write any of the the music in the in the studio? Gosh, no, I don't think we did on that one. 
I think we had all of those songs written, even the the bonus tracks that appeared. I, th- I think even those were already written. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, what's your favorite song on that record? Oh gosh. <laughs> oh man. Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I guess my favorite one to play is Flaming Youth, Flames On. Yeah. It's just, you know, I like how punchy and aggressive it is. It's really fun to play live. and Absolutely. Um, I really enjoyed that one. But I love the vibe of, like, Solid Gold, you know. I just, yeah. Um, like, kind of polar opposites in terms of songs. But uh, Yeah, man. What, what were your thoughts when you heard the record when it was finally done, um, when they, you know, had, had uh, let you hear the the how it sounded what was what were your thoughts i I was so floored i mean i was like whoa that's us yes (laughs) well you're just used to this kind of aggressive live thing and just to hear something so so produced and you can hear everything and yeah um yeah it was just it, it was like how do they do that how do they record that is that really us you know it was yeah um yeah, man, it's it's yeah, I totally can imagine, you know, at that time just being like, you know, like you said, you're this band, you hear you finally hear it on tape and you're like, you know, it's that's got to be mind blowing, honestly. Um, yeah. What uh, artwork and stuff for that? Uh, kind of how did that uh, come to? Yeah, well, you know, Lee, you know, the singer, he he's always been, you know, very particular about. I don't know, kind of the the look and the style and the you know the art direction. So I mean, he 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 came up with the the cover and all of that. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> um, I can't remember exactly why, but maybe timing wise, Tooth and Nail wind up wound up just doing the interior of the booklet themselves. Oh yeah, and didn't really get an approval on that wow. all of a sudden we we got the final product and we're like whoa what's this and we had sent them i think like a bunch of pictures and kind of a description of what we were hoping to do on the inside and i think they they thought that they were doing something that would be in the luxury vibe but yeah some of the interior it's just i I think it's pretty awful. Now, I think they forgot they didn't put the lyrics on one of the songs. And um, yeah, so we weren't terribly pleased with, mm. you know, the inside. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Artwork. Um, what did Tooth and Nail think of the record? Uh, do you know, kind of, I know you can't speak for them, but kind of were they stoked on it? How was Brandon on, yeah, stoked I, on it? And, you know, Brandon came out when we were recording. And he was, you know, really excited to, you know, to hear it. And, you know, I, I think Brandon was a big Smiths fan. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think he kind of saw Luxury as his, like, oh, I can have a Smiths type band on the yeah. label. And um, so, I mean, we felt like he was excited about it. And, uh, you know, I think was pleased, was pleased with it. And then, you know, of course, to see press coming out and reviews and, you know, that was pretty cool for us to Yeah. This tiny little band in Georgia to like, you know, see it advertised and I don't know, the front cover of, you know, alternative press or something, you know, it was kinda Yeah, I was gonna ask you what was the reception like for that? I mean, do you remember 
you know, obviously there were rev- reviews of it and and stuff. Did you get a lot of uh, press in maybe the secular world as well? Yeah, I mean, we did a little bit. I mean, I, I think we thought that Tooth and Nail had more mainstream connections than they did at the time. You know, like if Luxury were to come around 10 years after, you know, yeah. I mean, Nail had cred by that point in the mainstream world. But, you know, it, we just didn't get as much. I mean, we, we I think I had a review in like that bikini magazine and, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe Alternative Press did something. And so it was cool to see it reviewed. Um, I think the Christian market didn't know what to do with the record. Yeah. You know, because it wasn't, you know, some, you know, Christian <laughs> rah-rah type album. Yeah. And even the lyrical content, you know, we were told that it uh, got returned. Oh, gosh. Both, both Tooth and Nail records actually, you know, got returned. <laughs> um, people, you know, parents didn't like the lyrics or whatever. Yeah. Oh, how dare you guys think outside the box? How dare you? <laughs> yeah, well, and I think we always kind of enjoyed, like, I don't know, kind of being in that pressure cooker of a super sure. uber of you know, evangelicalism at the time. You know, there there's kind of, it was kind of fun to, I don't know, push against that a little, yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely. Um, so, record comes out, you go... A hit the road, I assume. Um, who are you touring with us at this time? Yeah, I mean, mostly, you know, a lot. We were doing a lot of southeastern dates, you know, like three or four day, you know, short mini tours. And then I think it was for that album, we did the, gosh, I think that was the Prayer Chain tour, oh, okay. you know, for Mercury. Yeah. So we did the East Coast egg of that tour. But you didn't do the one um, I saw, which is weird, because I saw them in West Virginia with Starflyer, and you guys were not on it. Yeah, I can't remember how it was all split up. I think Starflyer did maybe like 60% of the dates, and mm-hmm. we did the other 40%. So it was kind of up towards the northeast and then down the east coast and down into Florida yeah. and then over. So we must have like gotten on like the date after. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm stoked I got to see Starflyer at least, but you know, it would have been. I mean, it would have been awesome if all, all three of you would have played. That would have been even yeah. even better. Uh, what a what an awesome tour! I mean, Mercury oh, was one of my all time favorite records. I mean, what was that like uh, on that tour? Oh, it was it was cool to see them perform that stuff every night, um, and it was on one of these tours where like we did full production. And like part of the contract is like the band unloads the the sound system and sets it all up and the lights and the yep yeah so it was a lot of work um, it wasn't just like show up and play it was by the time you you had everything set up to play you were all sweaty and <laughs> I bet um, what a long what a long day. <laughs> Yeah, but we learned a lot. I mean, that was, you know, we learned a lot about touring and, you know, the road and, you know, all of that. Um, Yeah. That's cool, though. Did you get to open? um, I know you were mainly playing Christian venues, but was there any, maybe in Atlanta, you got to open for any bigger secular bands at all? Or were you just kind of pigeonholed? 
No, I think we were pigeonholed, unfortunately, and it, it has come out <laughs> over the last few years. Uh, I think Matt Hinton, you know, the luxury yeah. band member, you know, the guy that did the movie, uh, he he talked to somebody recently from Atlanta. He used to book it, you know, the Masquerade or one of the big venues and said, oh, yeah, we knew about luxury. And uh, we, we purposefully didn't put you on, you know, certain shows because we didn't want a Christian band. And it was just so funny because we That's weren't saying, you know, I think it was just that tooth and nail connection at the time. Um, so there was a few, I remember one show got canceled we were going to open for seam, which is one of wow, my I love first favorite bands. And then at the last minute, I think their bass player quit and they had to cancel the tour. And, uh, so we were kind of disappointed about that. So really the only, Bigger bands. I mean, we played with a lot of local bands, like all over the place. But sure. probably the only bigger bands we opened for were more from the Christian music scene. Yeah, you know, seventy sevens, Prayer Chain, Scattered Few. Yeah, you know, we got to play with a lot of those bands. But no, I get it. I get it. So the tour goes on. You obviously go to Cornerstone. You play um, a set there, and then. Your lives are changed. Um, let's briefly talk about. I know it's again, it's talked about in the film, but let's just talk about uh, your perspective, maybe on uh, the events that took place after Cornerstone um, when you guys uh, had a serious wreck, and and kind of let's talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, it was you know the day after we had played, you know, um, and like a huge show, everybody was into it, and. Um, so we were like really pumped and things were really starting to kind of open up for us. Um, and then, yeah, on the way back, our manager at the time he was driving, he lost control of the, the van, which had all the equipment in the back. And, um, you know, just once you kind of lose control of a big van like that, it starts to swerve yeah. and it swerved into the medium between, you know, both north and southbound lanes of the highway and it wound up flipping three times people were thrown out um i was in the car following the van you know so yeah. i was not in the van because we were traveling with our dear friends uh piltdown man yeah and um yeah so it was just almost like everything went in slow motion you know you're mm. watching this happen you're seeing your friends fly out of the mm. van you're just like is this really happening what what's going on and yeah you know, of course you know, we pulled over, we ran and, you know, and, uh, you know, people stopped on both sides of the highway. People were helping that the van came to rest that side. And Lee was kind of halfway out of the van and halfway in. So the van was on his kind of pelvis region. So wow. like we had to get a bunch of people to, you know, to pull the van off of him and pull him out. Um yeah, so it was it was just a crazy time. I mean, it's almost the what the twenty eighth anniversary of, of the wreck. Unbelievable. July twelfth or July second. Um, yeah. So between everyone, I mean, pretty serious injuries. There are three broken necks mm-hmm. um, between the fans. Uh, Lee himself was in ICU for a number of days, and it was really hit or miss like we yeah. just didn't know how how serious it was um yeah so it just 
I don't know. It just it's kind of sobered us up very. <laughs> Absolutely. Do, yeah. do you, um, in that time of recovery, um, was there just, was ending the ban an option? Was that uh, talked about? Was that something that you guys were like, Hey, I don't know if this is worth it. You know, I don't know if we ever talked about ending it. I, I think the focus was so much on recovery that it was mm-hmm. just like, you know, let's focus on that right now and yeah. not even kind of talk about it. But, you know, we, we love playing music and sure. You know, we were dear friends. And so, I mean, I, I think as, you know, everybody started recovering and as Lee started feeling better, I mean, we we started playing again. I mean, we, we kind of kept writing and, you know, I think slowly, you know, we never made the decision like, okay, are we going to keep doing this? Are we not? It was just, I think, the slow process of, you know, let's at least keep writing. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't know what this means for the future, um, but certainly it wasn't about like before the wreck. It was like, man, let's get bigger and bigger. Let's play more. Yeah. Let's, you know, we we want to get out there. I think now our just our perspective was very different. Yeah. We were just really focused on like what's important in life, and like you know, we wanted to keep writing and recording. That's for sure. Sure. Um, and we had written just all these new songs that we just are so great. And some of them were, you know, I think him processing this near death experience. Yeah. And so I think writing got a little more serious, still a little sassy as well, but sure. Sure. Maybe less sassy than, than the first album. What, uh, Uh, what was it like when you played your first show, back as a band after the recovery what was it a cathartic experience how did, how did that feel for you guys yeah i'm trying to remember what the first show was actually <laughs> I mean, um i mean i remember just thinking wow this is just amazing that we're all still alive and that yeah. we're playing these songs and um yeah i think just kind of getting excited about you know getting these songs written and, re- and recorded and we had a a two album with a third option deal i think with tooth and nail so tooth and nail i think was pretty eager to see us get back in the studio sure sure uh, um well i was going to talk about uh yeah latest and greatest um obviously the wreck influenced that record immensely um you can hear it, and like you said, in the lyrics and the tone, you know, you said it's still sassy, but it, it is definitely a different direction, but in a, a beautiful way. Um, it's probably my favorite record you guys have put out. Um, you know, I love them all, but th- this this one's always just uh, been the one for me that I just have connected to the most. And I think part of it is because of that wreck situation and hearing those stories and stuff. It's just it's a beautiful record. So let's let's talk about that. Um, maybe some thoughts and on the recording and memories from that time, obviously you're still recovering and, and, and getting in the studio. Yeah. I mean, we were excited to get back in the studio. We recorded with Dave Barbie, who's was a pretty well-known producer in Athens. He had been in uh, that band sugar, you know, with Bob oh, yeah. Mold. yeah. He was in a pretty successful local band called mercy land. And, you know, a lot of like, you know, the cool bands and the Atlanta and Athens scene, like you recorded Dave Barbie, you know, he was yeah. kind of a, a guy and he's still, as a studio there. So we were excited to record with him. Um, and, you know, that, that was a, at least for me, I, I think since we didn't have all of the songs written, we were writing some in the studio. Um, 
And so I just can remember, you know, the song Pearls. We just, I was just in the studio strumming on a classical guitar. And then Dave Barbie comes out and like, wait, keep playing that, keep playing that. And he's starting, cool. he's setting up microphones and here, you do this. And somebody hit this bass drum and you here play on the, the piano. And, and like all of a sudden, like a song had been crafted. That's so cool. Uh, so that was, that was pretty neat to kind of see something just organically, you know, because the studio sometimes can feel so sterile. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were such a live band, you know, and so that was the hard part, even with the first record, too, of just how do we, you know, get the live experience in the studio and the sound and all of that. So, you know, I, I think we were pretty pleased, you know, with how it turned out. We, um, I know the guitar players <laughs> weren't thrilled about how the guitars came out on that album, mm. um, but certainly me and Glenn loved, you know, the bass and drums on that album. That's what Dave Barbie did very well. Yeah. Um, but we were excited for it to come out because, you know, I, I think it was our catharsis of the Absolutely. wreck out. Um, but unfortunately I it just, it, I don't think it got the tooth and nail. I think wanted us to be more active than we were willing to be. I mean, yeah. all of us were married at that point. You know, the wives, their, you know, some of their husbands had almost died. I mean, it was kind of like the thought of just going out and touring nonstop, yeah. just longer in the cards for us. No, um, I get it. So, so I think we had a little bit of tension. I think with Tooth and Nail, they wanted us to be more active. And then if we were more active, then they would push the album more. And we're yeah. like, well you push the album more maybe that would help us to be able to be <laughs> no i get it i get it um what's your favorite song on that record um oh man probably red mascara right just as a bass player it's total bass and drum groove and yep that's my favorite song to play live even still so that's probably my favorite. That's one. awesome. I've always loved. I know why the cage birds sing. I think that's such a powerful yeah. song. I mean, I, I still get chills every time I listen to it, and it's such a, I don't know, it's such a beautiful song and such a well well written song. Um, and I'm just, I I've sent it to many people over the years, and it's just one of those songs. I just I feel like it defines you guys somewhat in a in a you know I know you're kind of have all different influences, but I feel like that's the song. If I'm like, this is a song I want, because it's just encapsulates you guys all, you know, just, I don't know, beautifully. I just think it sounds, when it kicks in at the end, it just yeah. getting well, chills right now you. thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, it's, and that's a powerful song to play live, too. And I, I think because it is definitely a reflection on the accident, I mean, it yeah. is a powerful song. Yeah. You know, and, and we've had people respond to us, too, just that have been through man. some difficult stuff in their life uh, say, man, that song was very helpful. Yeah. And that's where you're just like, Whoa, that's amazing. You know, here we are, this little band in Georgia and people from, I don't know, Washington state are writing us, telling us about how much this song means to them when they were struggling or. That's so cool. Know. That's sick. 
Um, what was the reception like for that? I know you mentioned kind of there wasn't much pre- uh, press for, or, you know, Tooth and Nail doing their part, I guess. But uh, kind of was there good reviews for that or were, what was, yeah, was the reception I mean, good? We did, yeah, I think we had more reviews for that one kind of in more mainstream press, which was nice to see. And so, some people gave it good reviews, but they were also, you know, oh, this is just bland 90s guitar pop, you know, or something. <laughs> you know, so we had to kind of deal with some of that. But uh, but also, the Christian bookstore didn't like this one either. Of course they didn't. <laughs> yeah, because there was, um, you know, a few songs on there that were, I think, kind of taking the church to task a little bit. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think... Yeah, so there were some returns, you know, on that one as well. But then we did the Morellis Forest tour on that album. Nice. And uh, we were supposed to have the product before we went on tour, and there were delays. Oh, so we wound up making our kind of bootleg <laughs> tape with a few songs from it and, you know, put some outtakes on it and sold it on that tour. And Wow. Um, but that was a fun tour. I, I bet mean, it was. We really yeah, we became really good friends. I feel like I might have seen you guys on that. I don't, I don't know if I did or not. I, I know I went to a yeah. festival in Atlanta called Edge Fest. I don't know if you remember that. Um, I know Morella's. I think a few times, but I, I can't remember if Morella's was, was there. Maybe, um, maybe not. I know I've seen you guys a handful of times. I just can't. It's all starting to blur together, unfortunately. Right, right. <laughs> Um, so obviously you guys are not digging what's going on with tooth and nail, tooth and nails feeling a certain way as well. So you kind of somehow how you just basically asked to be released essentially. Well, I think it was just a mutual, like, I don't think they were interested in the third option and we certainly weren't either. So, I mean, it wasn't like we fulfilled the contract and yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, I wouldn't say it was like totally amiable. I mean, we, we did kind of feel like more could have been done to support sure. us, but at the same time, we, you know, we didn't want to do anything else with them. Sure. And like, you know, some of us were starting to have kids at that point. We were having to think of, you know, kind of careers and yeah, you know, we just we were so in practical mode at that point. Um, you know, so we were just doing maybe weekend shows here and there. Yeah. But kept fighting. Um, so that's when Bulletproof. Yeah. Uh, approached okay. yeah. yeah. Let's talk about uh, that. Um, yeah. Kind of talk how that they approached you and, and let's talk about a self-titled record after that. Yeah. So we knew, you know, Marty and David really well in Atlanta because they ran like the venue down there that we played at all the time. They ran interseeds festival and um so they had this new imprint bulletproof that was kind of trying to do the similar thing maybe that tooth and nail was doing mm-hmm. so they approached us and they said man we'd love to do a record for you guys like we'll pay for you guys to go in the studio and put it out we're like oh yeah all right <laughs> you know because we kind of felt like there wasn't any expectation other than you know they were willing to put the album out and were we willing willing to go in the studio so yeah. that's when we with matt goldman first oh, i love matt matt's great and uh matt this was the i think the second thing matt had ever worked on wow he had recorded the annie record yeah 
bulletproof, which is awesome. Yeah, it's like, a great record. That, and we're just like, man, Matt's got a gift. And we we'd known Matt for a long time. He's a good yeah. friend of ours. He played in Piltdown Man, and he was, you know, there at the accident and yeah. all that. Um, so he was the first person we talked to. So we recorded with him. Um, and man, it's just to this day, like, I, I mean, I love kind of the other records, but, you know, I think for us, that was the first time we had recorded digitally and he was using Pro Tools and mm-hmm. we're kind of like, oh, I don't know about this, you know, we're yeah. going to lose all the low end. But man, you hear that final Oh, product. it's so good. It's like, man, this sounds so good. I mean, um, so I'm really proud of that that record. And yeah. there's a number of fans that like that one. And that was like the first one they heard. There's kind of like the tooth and nail early fans. And then since Bullet, Bulletproof had dis- different distribution, I think it got into more places, even though the distribution company, I think, went under like wow. a month or two after it came out. But uh, there just seemed like a, more people heard that album. Um, and, you know, talk about that that was kind of their gateway into luxury. And so that was that was fun. But I mean, we were all, again, kind of in this different place where, again, we were having kids. We were trying to support our families and. We were certainly excited about the album, but we didn't really, I think from that point, we we didn't really feel like we wanted to kind of go out and do the band thing. Yeah. No, <laughs> so, I get it. I mean, we and maybe, I don't know, four or five shows a year at that point or something. It just, um, things were kind of starting to slow down. We never really said like the band is over, but we just... I know it just wasn't quite as active. It just wasn't as important for us to be kind of hitting the pavement. Yeah, no, I get it. (laughs) Did you like um, when you heard the self-titled record, obviously you were stoked on what Matt did. Um, Like, did you like it better than the previous records? Were you just ecstatic over, over kind of like the, the vision and the direction you guys are going? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember thinking, wow, you know, I feel like this, record it's kind of on a whole nother level yeah i I agree um you know gone or kind of like the edgy kind of like i don't know punk raw stuff of the early albums and it's like wow you know it feels more mature yeah Um, i agree with that completely yeah so you know i think we were all proud of it and and unfortunately when the distributor went under Bulletproof then wound up going under. Mm. <laughs> and so they wound up just giving us all the product. And we still to this day have like thousands and thousands of CDs and boxes. Jeez, um, that we, you know, we've tried to give away. So if anybody's listening to this and want a <laughs> free uh, CD, hit me awesome. up. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, so you're obviously not playing much, uh, you know, just regional show here and there, family life's creeping in. Um, what, uh, you take a little bit of a break and before you start to work on health and sport and uh, I guess, how does Northern, uh, come into the picture? Yeah, well, and you know, we don't have to go too far afield here, but, you know, parallel to all of this was, you know, kind of our journey or at least, oh yeah, 
you know, Lee and I at first, um, I'm just kind of leaving evangelicalism and, um, you know, becoming Orthodox Christians. And, you know, so that was kind of going on during this whole time. And I would say kind of the rep played a little bit of role, at least for, at the time, the two of us to kind of, kind of fully make that journey over there. So after self-titled, I was just getting very focused on, you know, again, supporting my family and, you know, kind of my love for kind of this more newly found ancient, you know, Christian church, you know, and yeah. always had an interest in, you know, serving the church, going into some kind of, I don't know, work where I'm, you know, working in the church or for the church. And so that's when I decided uh, to go to seminary. Mm-hmm. So in 2000. 2000- Two is when I moved to New York to go to seminary. Um, so for those three years, I mean, just my life was so focused on my studies and, you know, just all of that. And sure. um, so halfway through seminary is when I get a call from Lee. Hey, um, I've been talking to Northern and they want to do another. They want to know if we want to do another record. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I don't know. It's like my, my brain is so not in the in in band life. Yeah, world. yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. But you know, I said, yeah, I, I'd love to. I'd love to come back. And so, um, I went down, and they had already been working on some of the songs. I think Lee had demoed some stuff and sent it around. Because by this point, Lee was living in Kansas City. Yeah, <laughs> Glenn was living in Asheville. Matt Hinton had had come on around the time of self-titled to be, you know, another guitarist. Jamie was still in Tacoa, so we were like spread out. But we came back to Tacoa, and Jamie recorded that one. Wow, you know, um, so you know, self-produced, and that was a lot of fun. It was a break for me from studies to go down and just hang out with my friends and and record this album. And Northern, you know, we knew them through the prayer chain yeah. connection. Yeah. Um, they're all friends with Jeff from Northern. And um, I think Eric from prayer chain was even kind of working for them during that time. And, um, and then like a lot of the bands on Northern at the time were, you know, people that we knew sure, kind of from the scene back in the day. And so it made total sense. And so they were excited about it. And yeah, so that came out and that was totally different because we were definitely writing in the studio for that one because we yeah. weren't i mean in the sense we weren't a band in the sense we weren't practicing every week and writing together we were spread out all over the place and that was the first time that you know even matt had taken on kind of a more active role in the band as well not just being kind of another guitarist for the the live shows and so i mean it was really collaborative the stuff we were writing together That's in the cool. studio so there were some great moments in recording that where just, man, some songs just really came together. We're like, whoa, where'd that come from? And and we, we tried to, I think, be a little more experimental. I think especially, you know, Jamie kind of taking it and running with it and introducing some some keyboards and drum machines and, you know, double tracked things. And uh, it just, yeah. So I'm really proud of that one. Bad. And, uh, actually, my 22, my twenty-two-year-old son, who's the recording engineer guy, that's his favorite luxury album. Wow, that's cool. 
What what's your favorite song on that one? I forgot to ask you on your self titled as well. What what were what are your two songs on those? Um, well, self titled, I really like um, "Conquer and Destroy." To Great conquer song. and destroy, that's just a fun song. And um, yeah, health and sport. I I love the needs of the many, the needs of the few. Um, mm. I think it may be known in that one. It's probably because again, it's bass and drum, groove heavy. Yeah, and that's a song that's kind of like in the studio, it just happened. You know, so we had cool. these like little things that came together and then, um, yeah. That's really cool, man. That, that's awesome. You got to be able to get together, bro down, hang out and write a cool record. That's, you know, yeah. not, not many bands can do that. <laughs> yeah. Who gets to do that? I know. Not too many. It, well, they're studying at seminary. I know. You know, so. <laughs> That's cool. That's awesome. Um, so that record comes out. Uh, you're obviously still just kind of playing shows when you can. Obviously, you're going to school and uh, seminary and uh, Lee as, as well. Um, do you guys get to play much at all, or is it just you're basically a studio band at no, that point? I think, I think the last show we played until very recently was before I left for seminary. So wow. it would have been, I think, maybe Cornerstone – 2001 because we played cornerstone in, in 2000 and 2001 i think that was probably the last show we played before i left for seminary crazy um, and you know jamie was active in his you know new project uh they sang as they slew yeah canary because i played in the early days of canary as well but so they sang as they slew did a little tour and they came up to New York when I was at seminary. Oh, cool. And uh, I helped them get a show booked at Sarah Lawrence College, which was like 10 minutes from seminary. So I went to the show, and then we wound up playing, I think, two luxury songs. That's cool. Or something. That's like cool. in the middle of the they sang as they slew set, which was kind of fun. That's rad. Uh, yeah. Very cool. Sweet. Um, so family life is in full force. Everyone's kind of doing their own thing. Um, what uh, brings up the trophies record? Um, what, where, where does that kind of begin? Yeah, again, this, you know, pesky Lee who keeps writing songs, <laughs> um, you know, and then Lee also has a very, you know, awesome solo career as oh, yeah. you know, all things full and all of his solo stuff so you know he's just so prolific so 2014 it's probably like 2013 he he calls so by this point you know jamie and lee had both gone to seminary mm -hmm. you know a few years after i graduated um they went to the same seminary i went to they graduated so you know the three of us who are priests are you know in full priest mode you know working in our parishes and all of that and you know matt has his you know, Bell Street Burritos in Atlanta, Glenn's still living in Asheville. And um, so 2013, Lee sends us all a message saying, man, I'm writing some songs. You guys want to do another luxury record? And we're like, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause, I mean, by this point, it's like, man, you know, I, you know, every, every priest needs a hobby is, oh, is yeah. what one of my mentors oh, yeah. at seminary said. Um, and by this point I was like, man, I, I need a creative outlet and this would just be awesome to totally. be able to do this. So totally. we did a Kickstarter, I think to raise money and like it got funded almost immediately. And 
So we went, we were back in the studio with Matt Goldman again, you know, at Glow in the Dark in Atlanta. Um, and that really felt like, wow, you know, we hadn't gotten together as a band for you know quite a number of years at this point. So it was just so great to get back in the studio. We we played through some of our old songs, which sounded pretty awful at that point. Um, but Lee had been writing and he had sent out some of the songs and man, it just it came together. I mean, it, it was hard because, you know, when you're, you're not playing together all the time and then you're trying to write and come together and, and we're totally in different places musically. We're just in different places than we were back in the day. And, you know, really trying to, that was a struggle to kind of bring that all together. But I, I think by the time it all came together, I remember hearing the first mixes because like the guitars especially were done long after, you know, I was around in the studio. Mm. So we did like bass, drums, scratch guitar, scratch vocals, and then they did a lot of that on their own. So I, I didn't know what the guitars were going to be sounding like. And then all of a sudden to hear the first mixes, like for that song, Parallel Love, I was like, so whoa. Good. It's so Man, good. this is so <laughs> great. And it's so different than even how we had been playing it and so by the time we finished mixing that and got the mastered version i was like man i am so proud of this record so and cool. um yeah so <laughs> the the kickstarter people got it right away mm-hmm. but you know during this time i mean maybe to transition over to the movie a little bit uh you know yeah. matt had done some other documentaries he has this great documentary on sacred heart shape note music singing in the deep south and oh that's awesome i have to check that out yeah it's really good it, it won a bunch of awards and and stuff um so he kept showing up at the the sessions with a camera or like a guy that he i guess was paying to show up with a camera so like during all of the trophy session somebody was there with a the camera recording a bunch of stuff and we're kind of like matt what what are you doing here? What's going, what's going on? He's like, I think this is a great story, you know? And we're kind of like, well, it's our story. So it's maybe cool to us, but well, there, do you think other people would be interested? He's like, I, I, I think it's a great story. Just, you know, the wreck, the band, the, you know, moving towards success, you know, the struggle of after the accident, three of these, rock band members becoming orthodox priests i mean it's just it's a unique story that's not common um so he wound up doing a kickstarter or gofundme or something for it and was trying to raise just a crazy amount of money but he it got funded wow so then we had to make this hard decision about trophies um we were so excited to get it out there but, you know, Matt was like, I just, uh, you know, can we can we hold it back and release it at the same time as the film? And we're like, well, how long will that take? Oh, I don't know, about a year. Oh, my. <laughs> but it wound up being closer to, I don't know, two or three years before uh, we were able to release it. And then so Matt was just working full time on the movie, traveling all over the country, doing interviews, yeah. coming up and interviewing bus and, you know. Then the editing process, you know, just painstaking and I bet. But then, I don't know. I it's just, it, you know, the movie eventually was finished. 
uh, and came out. And I think we even re- waited to release trophies, you know, kind of a little bit after the release of the film. Mm-hmm. So they weren't being released on the same day. So yeah. Matt did the whole f- film festival circuit. Um, and man, he started winning all these awards. The movie so was cool. getting all this traction. And I just remember the first time watching it. Like I wept. Yeah. I was going to ask you, yeah. What, what were you guys thought? I mean, you know, cause how many people get to watch a movie of your own experience? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's done in such a beautiful is. moving way that it's just, I, I think it was the first time I'd kind of seen the whole story together. Yeah. The whole narrative of kind of like our lives. And it's just, it's made me so thankful for our enduring friendships uh, of the gift of life, the gift of music, um, just our faith journey being able to just, you know, we're still, I don't know, faithful yeah. <laughs> Christians that, that, that believe and it's somehow all tied up into these relationships that we have. And it, the fact that the movie was taking off and, you know, we were getting on all these, I don't know, podcasts and interviews. We were on weekend edition on NPR talking wow. about on NPR talking about faith. That's cool. <laughs> and, in the band and it just was so weird because you know it's not like we ever walked away from the band and said the band is over but there was this sense that kind of it was in the background for a number of years and there's kind of this sense at least for me that god was giving the band back in a totally different package totally um a that was kind of in a in a dispassionate state Mm -hmm. so we would have killed for all of this press back in the day. But now that we, it's not that we don't care about it, but it's like, whether the band is successful or not, like, it's just, it's not my identity. Totally. <laughs> anymore. But it's just so great that we get to still do it and people yeah. are interested. And, you know, the movie has just taken on this, kind of life of its own. So yeah, the last four or five years have just been this whirlwind of, yeah. (laughs) It's an amazing movie. Amazing movie. I love it. I've seen it probably three or four times and I'm just, I I cry every time I watch it too. Like it's so moving. It's moving. Well, and people will see it that know nothing about the band, that know nothing about like the Orthodox faith, that don't know anything about even the Christian music industry and that struggle and tension and people just say it's a powerful, it's a powerful film and it really yeah. moved, moves them. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Absolutely. So then, you know, I guess the part that was weird is then, you know, there was all this interest. And so, you know, with the whole furnace fest stuff in 2021 to kind of get that call from, I think it was Ryan Luther is the one that was kind of oh, a yeah. champion. Love Ryan. Good as well as Dusty and Joe from Beloved, I'm I'm forever indebted to them because they uh, they pushed Chad hard. I think on you know that's so cool. Them considering it, so them asking us to play. I mean, we hadn't played a show like like I said since 2001. Yeah, how do we do that now? Yes, yeah. priest. Like, what is it? You know. <laughs> 
Was that hard to do? Was that hard to get together? Was it, uh, did you get any practices in? Like, how, how did that work? Did. I mean, we, we got together because, you know, this whole time we were actually starting to write for album number six. Mm. So we were getting together, working on these songs around the time that, you know, Furnace Fest asked if we were willing to play. And so then it's like we, we kind of pivoted at that point. Like, oh, OK, I guess we should uh, if we're going to say yes to this, we need to start rehearsing these songs. So when we would get together, it'd be like half the time we'd be working on new material the other half it's like okay i guess we have to decide on what our set is going to be uh and then we went ahead and set up a show in atlanta kind of the night before Mm -hmm. at the same venue that we had our album release show for self-titled like you know 21 years earlier that was um and and unwed we played with unwed sailor at that show oh nice love jonathan with jonathan yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a cool experience. Our kids who had never gotten to see us play, you know, to be at Furnace Fest with our families and our wives and our kids. That's so cool. All hang out. Um, and Brandon was there. It was weird to see Brandon again after all these years. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Fun. What was the uh, reception like from um, the people at Furnace Fest and, and at, at the Atlanta show? I mean, great. You know, the Atlanta show was packed and it was like a family reunion. It was like all these people that we hadn't seen in years and years. And that was just so awesome. Uh, A lot of fun. Furnace Fest, we were a little nervous because, you know, we're not like a screamo (laughs) metalcore band. We were were on the the dad rock stage. Yeah. And, you know, and Furnace Fest isn't all just loud music. I mean, that's the majority sure. of it, but I, mean, I I was surprised by some of the fans that we had, you know, these people that I would expect not to be into what we were doing. Um, but we had a, we had a good crowd and, you know, we had our vinyl, I think for sale, we'd finally re-released self-titled on vinyl mm-hmm. um, and health and sport on vinyl. So that was kind of exciting to have those there to sell and, you know, our new T-shirts and all that. But it was great. That's awesome. It's great to see a bunch of longtime fans that had never seen us before. That's rad. Yeah. That's really cool, dude. So, reissues. Uh, Burnt Toast Vinyl is uh, obviously putting out the first two records. Let's talk about that. Um, I'm so beforehand. They, I mean, can't imagine. They look unbelievable. Like, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what, uh, what was the process for that? And Kind of what are well, your thoughts on that? Yeah, Scott from Burnt Toast, you know, had, has always been, you know, a fan of luxury. And we've worked with him before. There were some outtakes from trophies that he pressed on one of his, like, um, what's he called? One Side EPs that, yeah. that he put together. And, um, and he had done some stuff with Lee's solo record, Majesty of the Flesh. Um, so... You know, and then I, I met Scott in person finally at Furnace Fest, and uh, you know we just really hit it off. So I, I think when we I I mentioned it to him in passing, like you know we're thinking of wanting to kind of do some reissues for the first two Tooth and Nail albums. You know, would you be interested at all in working with us? And he was just like, Oh yes, that would be awesome, and you know anything I can do to help. And mm-hmm. uh, and the thing is, you know, that early tooth and nail stuff, since it's owned by Universal Capital. or yeah. Capital, yeah, like it's really hard to get permission and 
you know, it's pretty expensive to get the licensing to do it. He was willing to kind of pony up <laughs> to wow. help make it happen. Uh, John Thompson, who used to work for them, also, yeah. I think, helps for that. Um, yeah, so he he just, he's the one that, like, you know, Scott from Burnt Toast, like, I think we should do it. And I think it would be so awesome if they were gateful double albums with unreleased stuff. And so, you know, I think it was with his prodding that and willingness to, to make it happen that made it happen. That's um, so cool. So then Jamie kind of redid a lot of the layout uh, yeah. for the first albums. And um, yeah, so we're totally psyched about them coming out. I mean, to be able to have the full discography mm. finally on. I mean, it's just it's kind of a shame that those first two were never released on vinyl. I know that's shocking. Um, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, are, are you just doing that? Um, the pressing, the first pressing, are you going to do more like to have kind of over the years if people want to buy it? Yeah. I mean, I think we'll do the first pressing and see how they sell. Sure. You know, I think the first pressing is 500 each and, uh, you know, see how they sell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think those are up for pre-order now and I think they're going to ship in August. Um, yeah. So those are ready to go. I got mine. I'm pumped. Awesome. <laughs> it's like Christmas day. It's coming in August. Yeah. Um, dude. Yeah. That's so cool. I'm, I'm, yeah, like you said, it's just one of those surprising they hadn't been pressed, but it's just I, I think you guys did it well, and you know Scott did a fantastic job. Looks fantastic, and you guys working on it. Just I'm stoked. Can't wait. Put it on the turntable. Yeah, like you had to release them both at the same time. I know. You know, make them available together, and uh, yeah, and, and they've been remastered too. So cool. Uh, so Michael Graves, he's a you know, Emmy award winning, um, sound engineer. He's worked on a lot of stuff. He did all the sound for the movie as well. And he's able to take things that we didn't have the master tapes. I think they got lost. Wow. Uh, or there was a, a flood or something there. There was some mm. reason why we couldn't get the masters. So he's working from a digital master, but he has a way of, working magic and especially latest and the greatest. I think people that were not satisfied with the sound of latest and the greatest, it's, it's so much more punchy and the guitars are so much more present uh, than they were. Um, and it has some unreleased tracks and some extras on there, some live stuff. And yeah, I think people will be really happy with it. It's exciting, man. It's really, really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, let's uh, let's pull out the old Magic Eight Ball and uh, tell me what is what your future looks like. I, I know you've uh, obviously got your career and your family, but uh, and you're obviously mentioned a, a sixth luxury record. What uh, what does the future look like for you? Yeah, well, we're we're working on it. We've been working on these songs probably for about six years. I mean, it's just crazy, and we have done pre-production with Matt Goldman on these songs. We probably have three or four different versions wow. of these songs we've been working on, and we just have not been pleased with these directions. So we, we've we've kind of burned them all down and rebuilt them. Mm. <laughs> and uh, so we're trying to kind of do things a little bit different uh, this time around, and um, I'm not sure how it's going to sound. I mean, we, we've done all the bass and drums 
Uh, I think some of the vocals have been done. And right now the guitars are being done. So Matt is traveling around, you know, to Jamie, to Matt, the other Matt, Matt Hinton, and uh, and is kind of still crafting. I think I still have bass, a bass track to do. But, I mean, our hope is to at least get one single released in the next few months uh, and then get a pre-order started. That's great. So I guess at this point, you know, it would probably be early, maybe next year before that would be released. But, you know, I think if I recall, there's maybe nine songs. Nice. So, and uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit of a, a direction change. Uh, we're trying to focus less on guitars and more on sounds. And, you know, there's some more, probably more keyboard. And um, yeah. So honestly, I don't even kind of know what the, the songs sound like yet. And, and they're, final form yeah but we're excited that's cool are you uh i know you mentioned a, a kickstarter um are you guys gonna are is there any labels interest or are you just gonna do it yourself or well, i think we're just gonna do it ourselves and you know do it do a pre-order and then you know put it out ourselves that's cool uh, yeah that's exciting man i'm really really pumped uh to hear it man and i mean thank you so much for coming on my podcast this has been such an awesome conversation and you know i i probably say this a lot but 18 year old me would have been freaking out uh to talk to you <laughs> and i know we've talked over the years but man this has been such a pleasure and, and i'm really stoked that uh you gave me your time and and uh got to hear, hear all these cool stories so oh it's awesome i i'm i'm just it's an honor that you're even interested and that <laughs> your listeners are interested. You know, we kind of feel like, you know, there's two or three other people out there that might be interested in what we're doing. So, <laughs> dude, Hey man, they're, they're, they're out there. Trust me. They're out there. Chris, our father, Chris, I should say, thank you so much for your time. And, uh, yeah. I hope to see you soon and maybe see you guys play at some point again. So we'll see. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Hey, thank you for tuning in to this latest episode. I really appreciate you, listener, uh, for tuning in. And uh, thank you so much again. Thank you to Father Christopher Foley for his time, his stories. What an awesome dude. Uh, amazing story, amazing musician. So stoked to have this opportunity to talk to um, a band that I loved as a, a teenager. So again, thank you, uh, Chris. And uh, really stoked for this upcoming luxury reissues and the potential sixth record coming out so stay tuned for that uh add me on facebook and instagram if you'd like at the rumors are true cast um like and subscribe the podcast tell your mom tell your friends who tell whoever if you want so thanks guys nostalgia still is a hell of a drug guys 